Recruitment Journeys is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. No matter what your recruitment journey is, whether it's contract, temp, exec search or perm, if you're looking for a new breed of tech partner to help accelerate growth, speak to Vincere. Visit vincere.io forward slash mint for an exclusive offer for all subscribers of this podcast. Welcome to series two of Recruitment Journeys. This is the podcast series where we speak to selected identities of the Australian recruitment industry about their chosen career paths and their own recruitment journeys in the hope to inform, inspire and motivate others in the recruitment industry. My name is Pete Watson from Mint R2R and we've been placing recruiters into the UK, the US and Australia since 2004. So if you're a recruiter and you're thinking about your next career chapter or your future recruitment journey, and you just want to hear how others did it before you, then please sit back and enjoy Recruitment Journeys. In 2009, after only seven years trading, Bernie Schema sold his recruitment business to Hayes in a deal value totaling £75 million. Nowhere near ready for retirement on the beach. He was still under 40. Bernie kept scratching that entrepreneurial itch until he decided to enter the tech business, launching Vincere, an all-in-one CRM platform for ambitious recruitment firms in 2012. So this one is for all the budding entrepreneurs and risk takers out there who want to build something special, whether it be inside or outside of recruitment. Bernie has done it twice and shares his journey with us here today. Not bad for a blog from Mudgy. Hope you enjoy it. Bernie Shima from Vincere. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Good day, mate. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm very well, thank you. And how are you? I'm very How's well. Melbourne? Yeah. Well, yes, in Melbourne. Yeah. Lock, lock, lockdown 2.0. We're um, we're well and truly over the halfway mark now. So. Fingers crossed the numbers continue to go down and we'll be uh, running around the streets like you are in sunny Singapore. Yeah, uh, well, it, it, oh, how long have you got, apparently? What is it, six weeks or another three weeks? Well, we've got um, about two and a half weeks left, I think. Oh, God, okay. Right. So, it's, I, it's unfathomable. I, I just don't know how you, how you guys do it, but uh, crikey, it's, it's uh, you know, at least it's cold outside, that's one thing. <laughs> it's it's taking its toll. But let's 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 speak of let's speak of happier things. Um, so Bernie, thank you so much for for being involved in in recruitment journeys, the podcast series. Thanks um, for having me on, mate. Thanks for yeah, having me on. Yeah, much appreciated. Um, the more the more astute listeners, um, it probably won't be lost on them the fact that uh, Vincere very kindly sponsor this podcast. So it was only a matter of time before we uh, we sat down and had a had a good old natter. Um, but I've, I've already explained earlier in the podcast who you are, Bernie, uh, but in your own words, would you mind introdu- introducing yourself to the, uh, to the listeners and the viewers? Yeah, okay. Um, so I'll, I'll be, be fast. I'm, I'm a mudgy boy, mudgy New South Wales. Um, I grew up there. I moved to the UK um, when, I was, uh, um, when I was about 21. Um, I came back and then moved back again in 25 and got into recruitment. Um, yeah, I, I, I basically was in recruitment for about 15 years. 
15, 16 years. I can't quite remember really, to be honest, Pete. Um, and uh, I built a business and sold it to Hayes in 2007, did an earn out uh, in, uh, for three years, and then got into tech in 2012. And yeah. that's how Venturi came about. And that's the story. That's, that's, that's the story. That's the journey. That, that's what we're going to uncover today. So we're going to go into, into more detail in, in all of the above. So look, I'll, I'll very quickly explain the concept of the podcast to anybody who hasn't heard before. It's called Recruitment Journeys, where we talk to selected identities from the recruitment industry about, as it says on the tin, their recruitment journey. Um, when I started the podcast, I used to only talk to recruiters who were still in a recruitment gig in some way, shape or form. But I'm trying to kind of broaden the horizons of the podcast now and speak to people who have potentially been successful recruiters but moved on to, to new and different things. I've done a couple of those of late and, and you definitely fall into that category, Bernie. So the, you know, the idea is to educate, inspire, motivate somebody who might look at your story, listen to your, listen to your journey and, and be inspired by it. Um, so you need to be as inspirational as you possibly can today, Bernie. If that's, if that's not too much to ask. Um, but, the, um, but the title of this podcast is The Recruiter Who Started a Tech Company, which is, um, there won't be many of you out there, Bernie. You, 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 you might be a bit of a unicorn in, in that regard. I wouldn't you know, say that. I think there's a lot of people that, uh, a lot of people have gone from, if you look at, uh, at um, a job adder uh, and you look at uh, the, the team there, they, they, they came from recruitment. I think, um, you know, know, you've got, so there's a, quite a few of us actually, um, but, you know, um, not many of them probably have, uh, have exited a business, uh, uh, you know, made the money I did and then poured all back into tech. I mean, that's yeah. probably unique. Yeah, you did it in a, in, a, in a very different different fashion. So let's go back in time, Bernie. Um, you are, as we've already identified, um, an ex-recruiter, a recruiter by trade, um, very successful uh, recruiter. But going back in time, how and why and indeed where did you get into recruitment, the wonderful world of recruitment? Well, it's, it's interesting, Pete, because I, I actually did the opposite for what you and many other uh, recruitment owners and certainly customers of ours did uh, in the fact that I actually went to the UK and mm. got into recruitment there. So I'm an Aussie going to the UK and started there. Um, so I left, I left Mudgee, um, went to, to a place called Tunbridge Wells, um, and uh, I was actually working in oil and gas. Uh, and uh, I, I think that was 1995 I was working there, and I think the average price of oil was around $15 a barrel so try and have to to call around to, to commercial and domestic customers to sell them oil it was an interesting uh interesting gig for for a year and a bit but it was a rec to rec that uh, phoned me and she worked with me at shell um, I was really? at shell um and she worked with me there and she basically phoned me and said hey would you like to try this this gig in recruitment uh they're paying you thirteen thousand quid which is about eighteen thousand dollars aussie and three percent commission and i said what do i have to do and they said would well, you just basically phone around companies and pull a job from them and phone around people and, you know, put them into that job for more money than they're on now. And I said, oh, crikey, you know, let's do it. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so, and, uh, and I, I remember the first day walking into that office and it's funny, you know, Pete, because I walked in there because I thought you're going to pay me to get people a job for more money than they're on now. This is ridiculous. You know, that should just be a salary role. Uh, and, and I'll give me commission 3% at the time. And I walked into the office in the first day and I, I don't know why, but I looked around the office and thought, why are you guys not on the phone? You know, come on, there's, there's, really? there's 3% commissions to be paid here. I didn't realize that I was on the lowest salary and the lowest commissions when I walked in. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's how I thought when I first walked in that office. 
big so on even then <clears throat> even on your first day your instinct just told you that to be successful in this job you should be on the old dog and bone oh absolutely i mean well i just come from from you know living on the phone selling oil uh to people who were very irate about the fact that shell was charging more than the other companies were uh yeah we had to sell it on a value sell you know we use certain certain different uh, uh additives to the to the oil that look after your boilers etc or complete bs of course but you know then coming in and, and having something that you know was far more interesting in my opinion um i just thought wow you know this this is a this is a money factory yeah um, and i can have some of that in my back pocket so that's what I thought when I first walked in. And I still think it's, you know, if, you, if you're clever, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a hidden gem of a career. So in the early days, um, were you any good, Bernie? Were, were you a good recruiter? Were you talented? Or no, just... I, I, to be honest, no. I, 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 um, you know, I don't think I've got the, the, the gift of the gab like other people do. Um, you know, I think you Brits are very, very good at it. Um, so I just had to outwork everyone. So I would stay late and get in early and, and just I'd make the extra calls that I have to make to to make up for the fact that I probably didn't have the uh, the, the sales skills that uh, the other guys had. You must have been um, you must have been a, quite a rarity back in those days. An Australian doing recruitment in the UK. Yeah, there was a few of us actually. It's funny enough. Um, there's uh, a, a mate of mine that uh, that runs Robert Walters. Um, in, uh, he actually ran it in Japan the same time I was there. And now he runs it for, for uh, Kev Gibson runs it for um, South America. He was another one. He went over there just a, a year or so before me was working in London mm. and got a job in recruitment. Um, there's yeah, there, there a are few very of few of us. Yeah, yeah okay. very few though. But, okay. uh, but it was interesting. Um, so, that was your, so that was your baptism fire um, yep. into recruitment. And then you, um, you, you, you took a leap of faith. Um, calculated gamble, if you will, and you started your own recruitment business, James Harbert. Now, you only had, if my notes are correct, about five years recruitment experience um, before you started James Harbert, and you started James Harbert in a different country. So you, you, you kind of pile all that on top of each other, and it just sounds like uh, a recipe for disaster. Um, but... For you, it was a calculated gamble. How, how did you know in your bones that it was going to pay off? Because it did pay off, and we'll come, we'll come to that in a moment, but how did you know it was going to pay off? Well, to, be honest, to be honest, I didn't know it would pay off in the way it did, um, and I don't think anyone really does. But you know, I took a calculated gamble because um, I started with two other guys, two other great billers, right. and, and, and so you know, we, could, we basically we could share the risk, um, and, uh, and also we could you know, had the security there because we put, all put some money into it. And we had a stonking month. Our first month was, uh, I think we set up the business in, in March 2000. Uh, and we started working together in June because we had, you know, had uh, a notice periods, et cetera. Uh, and we, um, we built 100,000 pounds in our first month, uh, you know, and it was just stonking success. Um, and, you know, this is, we're talking 20 years ago. Um, so, and, and, um, sorry, buddy, this, this was in IT, this is technology? Yeah, we did fintech, mate. So, so basically, oh. uh, let me just quickly explain. So, we did, we did, we did fintech. So, we were, uh, we basically, we didn't call it fintech. We called it financial financial technology. We didn't, we weren't clever enough to come up with that uh, catchphrase at the time. Um, and uh, so, there was three of us, and we we focused on different areas. Um, so we did basically sold, uh, uh, you know, people into uh, tech people into investment banks, and our and our whole concept was to become a global leader. 
right, of that, and that we were going to be world domination uh, fintech uh, across the world. We, we set up in London, we set up then set up in Tokyo, um, and the the whole idea of uh, of this was to go to New York. Finally, we'd have those three. We it was a build to sell from day one, Pete. So mm. we weren't we weren't going to to retire. We were going to be in and out in you know in five to six years, um, and uh, and then you know go on and uh, and do whatever we wanted to do thereafter. Um, however, in we we did we did London. We did September two thousand one. We opened up Tokyo, uh, and of course, eleven days later, um, with the uh, the nine eleven results and yeah. the, the kibosh on on heading to New York. So we kind of had to take a step back, um, and we had to regroup. Um, uh, the team, uh, which is uh, uh, Andy, was it was market left by that time, and Andy was in London, and I was in Tokyo. We decided that uh, we'd, we'd we'd try and keep the business going, and uh, and eventually, I think Andy wanted out. He's you know it was 2003, and we brought in a guy called Paul Beak, um, and Paul uh, came in, took over the the UK side of the business, and I ran the Tokyo business, and that's how we worked together mm. um, for the next uh, next four years, really, until we had the acquisition from Hayes. Okay, so at it, at its peak, um, how big was James Harvard? How many how many how many recruiters did you have in the business? Um, well, in total headcount, it was just under 300. Um, wow. We had about 115 in Tokyo and about uh, 180 in, in London. So yeah, it was quite quite sizable business in the end. Um, uh, yeah, and we we had, I mean, I had uh, in Japan, what I did in Japan was diversify, right? I couldn't just do fintech um, because the market just wasn't big enough. So, and also when we, when we had a conversation, when Andy was leaving and Paul came into the business, we said, right, we've got to make this look like we looked at who would potentially acquire us. And, uh, and, and, and I looked around and thought, okay, it's going to be, it's going to be one of the big guys uh, that's not here already. It was going to be a, a you know, a, a ranch that it was going to be a deco. They, they were there, but not in the specialist, specialist recruitment sector. Uh, it was going to be a haze. Um, and so we, I built my business out in Japan to, to look like that, to, to basically to replicate what their business would do. So we, we basically went from FinTech, we put in uh, accounts and finance, we put in, you know, we did uh, um, technology into, into, into vendors. Um, uh, we did uh, HR, we did sales and marketing, right? And then we put a contract arm on and an RPO business. So, and that kind of, that actually worked out really well because I think it was Mark Brunning that came in from Hayes to look at our business the first time. And he walked out on the sales floor and he said, this looks just like a Hayes office. Mm. And, uh, and I said under my breath, no shit, Sherlock, you know? Um, and so, and that, and that's what we did, you know, so, and Paul did the, Paul did something different in, in, in the UK because in the UK, you know, it's really, it was the, the specialisms that they want that, that, uh, that a, a large specialist firm would want. And so we had the FinTech piece. We kept the FinTech piece in the UK. That was a real strength of ours, of course, from the early days. And he bought in a pharma element, which is, uh, you know, the, the healthcare or pharma, pharma segment, um, life sciences, we call it. Uh, so he did, just those two specialists in 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 UK, and I did a much broader based um, uh, business in Japan, and we kind of run those autonomously. I owned the Japan business, he owned the UK business, but we yeah. went under the same name and same same branding and everything. Yeah. So so before we get on to the the, the Hayes acquisition, um, James Harvard was obviously a very successful organisation. Do, doing your best to avoid the usual cliches that we hear about USPs, Bernie. Uh, when talking about successful recruitment businesses, why do you think James Harvard was successful or so successful? Um, I, I, well, I think it, I think a lot of it came down to the grit and hard work. 
um, you know, we've made a lot of mistakes, uh, uh, you know, along the way, you know, um, I think, I think it was, we, we did single mindedly focus on our two businesses. So I think it really helped that Paul would focus on the UK uh, and I focused on, on Japan. So, you know, we, we could really single mindedly just go at it. There was, you know, he had, he could offer advice on my side, you know, he could take some ideas that I had from our side as well. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and implement those into his business as well. So I think it worked really well because we single-mindedly focused on it, um, and we just grew out. We just grew it really fast. It was it was crazy. I think the other thing, Pete, was it kept everything in the business. This was not mm. a lifestyle choice. You know, some people, and I don't mind. I don't judge other people that want to have you know take the money out of the business and have a good life. That's you know, there, there's that's your business, is your decision. Ours was a build to sell, right? And it and it became. Well, at least because we're working in finance, it became pretty obvious by 2006 or even 2005 that I think we were heading to a tour towards a toppy market, right? And I said to Paul in 2006, I, I, I'm not going to take the risk. I think we're going to have some sort of downturn next year or the year after. I, I think, you know, I'm going to look to sell. Uh, and, um, and, that, and that's what we did. So, yeah. you know, and, and so that's, uh, okay, so, so, so that explains the timing. Uh, you, you you didn't like what was what was bubbling away on the on the horizon and re reflecting on the timing was it was it the right time to sell? Well, seven years. We actually did the deal almost seven years uh, to the month after we started the business, um, and that was quite good because yeah, it was quite good because considering we did a management buyout in two thousand three and we we pivoted, it was kind of like four years after we kind of almost started again. Um, yeah, so it was pretty good. I would say this um, that you know. A lot of people think that they want to sell a business when, it, when it's perfect, when they're, you know, when it's right for them. Um, but I, I, I just, I feel that, that the, the, the sale of the business is, is very much dependent upon the market itself. Yeah. Right? So, and I said to Paul, I said to Paul, listen, I, I'm going to sell in 2007, right? Uh, it, you, know, uh, you know, if you want to be part of it, great, I'll see. So I spoke to Randstad in Japan and they were really interested um, to, to, to buy our business. Um, and then, uh, but they didn't want Paul's business because they didn't weren't they weren't interested in the in the UK business. And Paul said, really? "Well, let's go out to market." And he went and he went and spoke to Hayes, and uh, and Hayes came back and said, "Well, we don't have anything in Japan, and you know what? The farmer and fintech pieces are missing from Arsenal in the UK." So Dennis Waxman was running um, uh, Hayes at that time, um, so he came over, met with us. I put him in a uh, I put him in a hotel, right? That uh, we had to go downstairs and iron his own shirt. Dennis was was notorious for, for saving money, um, and so was I. So uh, he really liked that. His CFO, uh, who's still there, didn't. <laughs> so uh, we got along really well. You put him um, in, you know, he was in like a travel lodge or something. Correct. Yeah, exactly. He'd go down. He loved it. Go down and and, and on his own shirt and uh, and whatnot. Yeah. So, but I but you know I think with Paul Paul bought Paul bought that that business along Hayes and they they the the deal on the table that they had was just much better it was much better an opportunity not just and from a cash perspective but also from a career perspective for the guys working for me you know so they could they you know i had some i've got some guys now that are, you know are still working with hayes and they're, they're back in the uk or they're in certain parts of the world and have gone on to all gone on to do really well with them um so i think um you know i think it was just a better overall deal uh, and the timing was was great uh, so Paul Beak had sold his business previously. He'd sold a business in 2000. He was 30. Sold his business to uh, Harvey Nash. Uh, and he'd sold it um, basically taking on, uh, gave away most of the upfront to all his, his investors, whatever, and took on the, the earn out. 
and this is March 2000, right? And he was he was in tech in Silicon Valley. Uh, and what had happened was in April the market crashed, and he basically his earnout just disappeared. Wow. So with this 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 time, my conversation with Paul was right. Let's go early. Uh, let's take something off the table, please, and let's put all the risk on the earnout. Yeah. Right, because if you do that, if we take it off the table now. We can put all the risk in the earn out. And as it was, the earn out kind of uh, wrangled me because it, it, it well, not wrangled it, 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 I suffered the most because it was, um, it, you know, because it was a broad based business, it was Japan, the market dropped. We did okay, it, we didn't get nothing, but we didn't maximize it. Whereas Paul with the farmer, well, that just went ballistic and uh, and he maximized the hell out of it for that team, which which I thought was amazing. It was a great story and great yeah. to watch. So overall, um, yeah, it was a deal. I think the total value of the deal was about 75 million quid, including earnouts. So uh, yeah, it was great, great to be part of it. And, um, and so it was tell, a great learning experience. Tell me, I'm, I'm, all, I'm always curious. I've, I've asked this question a couple of times, but how did you, um, <clears throat> how did you feel the morning you woke up having signed the final documents and the deal was officially 100% done and said, how did you feel the morning you woke up? Well, um, we were, we were negotiating all night. So, and, and um, we had to stay and they, they were negotiating all day in London because the deal was being inked in London. And so I was on conference calls with the team um, all night uh, from Japan. Right. So, yeah. so it was kind of like, I think we've, I can't remember with the law. We had our lawyer over there. I think it was like four, Four or five a.m. I just went home, went to sleep. You know, no champagne. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it was. It, I think the thing before the whole deal's done is the one thing going through your mind, Pete, is just don't screw this up. Yeah. You know, Hayes. Um, Hayes. They talk to about a hundred companies a year. They're lucky if they make one acquisition a year, right? They are very, very fussy, and they, and they did an eight-month DD on us in Japan with Deloitte. Um, and so we, and we came through it with flying colors, but that, that was, you know, two, three years of preparation to get there. So the whole idea was don't screw it up. So I think the whole idea is once the deal was done, it was like, you know, thank F for that. That's just, oh my God. Yeah. Okay. It's more of a relief than anything else. And, 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 but, and, t- and t- tell me, did, did you, obviously um, Hayes were using Deloitte, but were you, were you using some kind of intermediary agent, some kind of consultant and M&A guy yeah, yeah. or did you do it yourself? So, yeah, no, no, we, we had, um, so we had a investment banker come in from our side. Um, they, they, you know, we used them probably more so in London than in Japan. Uh, you know, generally, generally, um, you know, the, in London, they would bring the guys into to, to, to negotiations over with us. It was pretty much my negotiation was, what do we get for the Japan business? What do we, because we had already had negotiations with, with Randstad. Randstad had given us a term sheet. Um, we already knew what, uh, you know, what the bottom line was. And, and I already had that, you know, I'm not going to go below that. So, um, so my negotiations were quite simple. I had the term sheet. I could go and Paul could use that in discussions with Hayes as well. When we're having these discussions, so, well, you know, they can walk anytime because they've got someone else to buy it. So we leveraged that together quite well. Um, mm. It was, it was a long process though. Uh, they, they, like I said, they did take nine, 10 months um, uh, after you know, sorry, from conversation, you know, getting term sheet, then DD, you know, to getting the deal done. Yeah. But yeah, the deal so. was done to the tune of 75 yeah, million. Look, yeah. There's, there's a lot to share about. It was good. And I think, I think the one thing, you know, I, I say to people is that, is that it isn't a euphoric buzz. Yeah. It is that you, I remember walking down the street, I think the day after 
yeah. and it was a side street near my office. It was empty, and it was like a surreal magnolia moment of going, "Oh my God!" You know, looking up the sky and going, "Now what? What bloody hell do I do now?" You know, and uh, but yeah. but having all those options to say, "Right, okay," you do feel, you do feel, you know, incredible. And 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 and, and taking stock, you know, to to do that and sell a business to, to start in recruitment and sell a business for the amount of money that you did all within 12, maybe 13 years. Um, that's quite incredible. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, I think, I think, you know, there's an element of luck that, that's been played here. You know, you let this look back on it. And I think you know, I've had a lot of time to, to, to reflect. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, during that time, it was incredible growth from 2003, 2007, 2008, was a, a, a it's certainly in our markets was amazing uh and you know and and japan was just going forward it was, it was fabulous um so i think we we had a little bit of a uh, little bit of luck on our side mm. you know the fact that we pulled together the management team that we did the fact that people were were all driven and and we did we put a, a fabulous uh esop plan in place for the team so a lot of my guys you know got something out of it i think we paid 17 of my team got something out of the upfront and the earnout. And then we negotiated with Hayes. I negotiated with Hayes on our side to get an additional lock-in for them. So they got an additional payment in 2010, end of 2010, 2011 mm. to stay there in the business. So some of them got three payments. Mm. So in Very terms good. of that, you know, we were fortunate that we had, I, th I think a lot of luck, and I do say this, Pete, just to keep my feet on the ground more than anything, the luck plays a lot to do with what your first deal, right? And most people never do more than one. So mm. I think it's worthwhile to recognize that because, you know, when, once you, one big mistake I made when I came out was I thought I was a master of the universe. I thought whatever I touch will turn to gold. And I thought that I don't have to do much. I'm just, you know, I'm just clever. And the, the, you know, it just, you know, business is just not like that. And the world's just not like that. You know, you've mm. got to start again and you've got to be, you've got to, you know, get your, your, your head down and your, your, your tail up if you want to make it success mm. in the next business. It's not just going to happen. So, so, so there you are, un, under 40, Bernie, and uh, sitting on, on a lump of cash that I'm assuming never in your wildest dreams you'd be, uh, you'd, be, you'd be sitting on a lump of cash like that. Or maybe you did. But either way, you were sitting on this lump of cash uh, under the age of 40. Um, and as you said, you had this you know, realization that life now had choices for you. you. You tried your hand in the ski chalet business for a few years. I mean, we can touch on that briefly because that's a that's a bit that's a bit of a, a diversion from recruitment, isn't it? How, how did that happen? Are you a yeah, skier, okay. first of all? Yeah, no, yeah, well, I am, but but not not a good one. Um, I, <laughs> I, I just I do like the mountains. I, I just thought I thought I wanted to do something that you know straight away would give me an income, right? And I think that's what uh, that's what you want to do. But I wanted to do something different, um, and I thought. I thought I went up to Hackaba, bought a plot of land that was right on the edge of the slopes um, and some other, some other land. I thought I'll just build some, some chalets called one chalets. It was called um, and, uh, and work with an, there was an Aussie guy up there, uh, Mick Baker, cracking guy. He's a builder. Um, so together we, we, we designed and built, um, you know, two really cool chalets up there. But the point of the matter was, was that it was, it was, it's the chalet business um, is, is, is a lot, a lot of hard work and there's not a lot of upside to it. Uh, and Hakaba wasn't Niseko. Uh, it didn't have the flow through of the, of the, of the rich that uh, were willing to pay the prices I wanted for those chalets. I'm sorry, you must explain, where's Hakaba? 
Hakuba is, is about, uh, it's about uh, uh, three hours um, north of Tokyo in the mountains, right? Gotcha. It's, it's, okay. so it's, it's, a, it's, it's most, most Aussies would recognize that. A lot right. of Aussies go there. Uh, and the Seko is in Hokkaido. Uh, and Hokkaido is about two and a half hours from Sapporo. But it has direct yeah. flights in from Hong Kong and whatnot. And it's deemed to be a, a, you know, a, uh, you know, a richer um, a part of uh, a part of the ski fields, if you know what I mean. So, 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 so this Midas touch that you thought you had with James Harvard, did that, did that, did that, <laughs> did that lend itself to the ski chalet business? No, well, I, I just, I just felt well. I, the problem was that not only did I get in the ski chalets, I also got into software and I started to build because I was building the software um, in and and starting to to test and try it out from early as 2011, right? Yeah. So, and I just pouring money into that and. Um, and uh you know it that that but where do you put your cash do you, yeah. you know, i had limited amounts even though i'd spent you know uh a sum over five six million dollars on on those chalets um so and then i i had extra cash i was just pouring into these businesses so i just had to decide where do i want to put my focus um yeah and the chat the chalets business was i'd realized it was going to be a lot of hard work i'm going to be stuck in the mountains of japan uh and really uh you know there's not a, I didn't feel that, uh, that to make that thing work, I probably would have had to put in two, three times the amount I did to, to, to make it really a viable business venture. Yeah. And, uh, so I decided, you know, I got into, got into the software side. So eventually I, I, I pulled out and had another Aussie up there. Who's a, who's a rich financier from Hong Kong. And he basically just bought the properties off me. Okay. Which is, which is great. So, 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 so fast forward to, to, to 2012 and, um, that's when you launched Vincere, which has kept you busy, kept you busy since. How did you, yeah. uh, how did you come it, up with the concept of Vincere? Okay, we didn't, Pete, in the, in the beginning. We, uh, what I did was I focused on, in 2012, focused on building an ATS for corporates. Okay. Um, and 2013 segued into the ATS CRM for agencies. But at the same time, we also did a third product, which was, uh, which was recruitment analytics for, sorry, which was analytics, for people analytics. Called him. So we had this uh, this business called Hiring Boss. We had a business called Staffing Boss, which is the now Vincere, and a business called uh, called Employee Boss. So again, you know, you've got this mindset, right? Of I've just come out of, of an earnout. I'm 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 a superstar. Everything I touch is going to turn to gold, and it didn't, right? Yeah. You, you're talking about a product competing with. Um, you know, with Taleo, right, on one side. Then you're building a product to compete with Bullhorn on another side. And then you're trying to build an Alterix type, you know, uh, Domo type product. It's, it's just stupid. You do, there's a lot you don't know when you come into it. And I, and I look back now and say, right, how the hell were we trying to build those three? And so we, in 2015, we, we basically had a cash crunch. And, uh, and our investors said, listen, can you just focus on one of these products, please? And so we were, okay, right, okay. So what I did was I focused on the little redhead that was in the corner that wasn't getting any attention. Uh, that was Staffing <laughs> Boss. And we had about 30 customers at the time. We had some long-suffering customers, one that's uh, one of our biggest customers now, uh, and our first customer who's still with us. Uh, and that, that, that thing, we then we repositioned that, renamed it, and, and turned it into Vincere. Uh, and, um, and that little redhead's turned into Nicole Kidman. And so, uh, and that's where we are now. Okay. So, how how would you say it is any? What's the difference between running a tech business and running a running a recruitment business? Uh, crikey, um, I'd say a lot. Um, I'd say I'd say uh, 
that's a good question actually because I say recruitment's about you know process uh, sales and people management right um, you know it's about having you know understanding what what it, you know you need to have a process in place you need to have you know everything the, the, the storage to success needs to be needs to be in the process as you build for that business um, the people you put in the business is super 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 important of course and then you need to be able to manage them and you need to be able to as you expand you need to be able to build people managers and managers of people managers etc so it's 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 very it's a very generic um, uh, process in my opinion it's not easy um, don't get me wrong um, but tech's a little different uh, tech's about market need it's about mm. customers and it's about runway um, so 40 percent of, of uh, businesses in tech fail because there's no need for their product in the market uh, mm. and so you need to check and that's why we chose Vincere out of the three products. If you look at a corporate ATS, it's a nice to have, it's full of tire kickers and guys without budget that, that will tell you they're going to buy and never, never do. You look at the, the, uh, uh, people analytics product we built, uh, no one wants, no one wants to pay for it. Mm. Right. So that's why we chose the weakest of the three products, um, to go forward because there's a market need for it. Uh, and I think, you know, you know, when I look at customers as well, one of the reasons why I say customers is because really if the customers don't use your product, okay, um, uh, then they won't stay with you. And in a SaaS business, the most important ingredient to success is keeping customers. It's not necessarily getting new customers. Don't get me wrong, that's important in the early days because without them, you can't, you've got to get them in the first place, right? So, mm. but keeping those customers and making them and turning them into, into a powerhouse, getting them to expand, that's where the secret to SaaS lies in, in mm. getting those guys to take new licenses on at the behest of the other comp competing products where they're taking those licenses from because they're taking business from them. And I think the third one is runway, right? Uh, and runway means, you know, it's, it's like, how much money do I have to I get profitable? Uh, and, you know, in tech, it's a, it's the, the barrier to entry is so high because you need lots of money. Mm. Um, and just having lots of money doesn't mean you're successful, but it certainly does give you what they call runway. So you're looking at your business plan and saying, how much money do I need to I get profitable? Um, like, like anything, but remember, you've got to invest heavily in tech. And this is not like it used to be. You're not building a product and going out to sell it. You've got to keep building it. So you've mm. got to keep that, that expenditure going. And it's there forever. You know? um, so even during COVID, right, we still had our dev team building. We still have had to pay them. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, pay them over time when they did releases, et cetera. So that's what, that's the difference is in the Also, I think a recruitment business is you don't need much to set up. Mm, what I love yeah. about it is, awesome. you know, you don't, you can go in and set up your own business. You're up and running, you're off and you're going, and that's it. Yeah. It's not the same. Yeah. That's the beautiful part about recruitment. Always has been, you know, oh, you, 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 know, you need a, you need a, you need a phone, a brain, the internet, and you're off. Correct. And, 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 you know, you've got things like LinkedIn, which I didn't have when I was recruiting, right? I'm not sending up to the, link, the extent it has today. You've got wonderful products that are really competing with each other now. Uh, you know, like, you know, I would look at my com competition and say, wow, you know, they, they make me get out of bed every day and think about what I need to do to beat them. Yeah. What I need to do to, to, to make sure that our, our guys using our product can beat the guys using their product. Yeah. And that's, that's the kind of stuff that didn't exist before, right? You know, they have these ultra competitive uh, vendors that are giving you the product for cheaper and cheaper prices really for what you're getting. So, uh, you know, I think recruitment is, yeah, and I, I love the game. I miss it actually in, in a lot of ways because, 
you know, don't get me wrong, it's, it's certainly not easy by any stretch of the imagination, but it certainly is, you know, it's, it, I, guess I keep calling it a hidden gem of a career, mm. you know, because, yeah, we have bad times. We have that with, with every business. How, how are you, how are, how are you, Bernie, different today as a business leader today to the business leader you, that you were um, when, you, when you were running James Harvard at, at, at its peak? And it's clearly clear, you know, the, the, the passion is clearly still there, but how, how are you different? Um, I, I, that's a great question. I would say that I'm more open to learning the things that I don't know than to mm. relying on things that I do. Um, and I, I think, I think more open to, to double checking. I might be wrong, mm. Pete, you know, so it's like, and so that's why I, you know, I, I think live by the philosophy of, of fail fast. Right. So, mm. you know, and, and I'm far more open to listening and studying, right. Than I, than I, than I, than I was before, you know, um, you know, we, before I just throw money at the problem, you know, now, I could still do that, but I realized it doesn't work. <laughs> mm. You know, now it's, it's, you know, you want to, you don't necessarily want to be the smartest guy in the room in every conversation, but you want to know enough to be dangerous. Uh, mm. And, and I think, you know, I just went back, I just go back to school. If I don't know something, I'll spend the weekend studying it. So at least I have a, a, a grip on, on that situation. So when I go into the conversation that I, 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 I hold some steady in, in, in the outcome. Mm. Mm. Okay. Um, so back to, to, to Vincere, in, um, in, in layman's terms, um, yeah, cause this is a very competitive populated industry that you are, that you are, that, that, that you are battling in. How is, how is Vincere different to you know, the bullhorns and the, and the job adders of this world? Um, well, just, just to, you know, the, uh, just to deal with the first thing you said was it's very populated. It, it, it is and it isn't. Um, mm. I think that the market's split now between two parts, right? And it comes down to one word. And this took me a long time to learn this, Pete. It's, it's called, what the, or two words actually, single or multi-tenanted. What is the platform? Is it single-tenanted? Is it multi-tenanted? And it's mm. very important if you're going to have a long relationship with your vendor. Single-tenanted means that you can customize it to whatever you want. They, they, yeah, can I customize this? Yes. Can I move that field over here? Yes. Great. Sounds wonderful, right, when you're buying. But then, uh, where's my upgrades? Oh, we can't have those. You've customized. That's your solution, right? That's it. Well, you didn't tell me that in sales process. You didn't ask. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, <laughs> and I've heard so many horror stories of this. I went through it myself with one of the products. Um, Multi-tenant is simple. It's configuration versus customization. So, yes, you can configure, but there's going to be a lot of no's in the sales process. But the great thing is, is that, you know, everyone's got this continuous integration, continuous delivery, CICD, they call it right now. And what that means is that you're constantly getting updates, constantly getting upgrades. So what my job is, is to speak to you as a customer, Pete, and say, right, Pete, you know, where are the shortcomings of the product? And we, like I said to you before, we drive our roadmap by the, and so do, so do our competitors, by the way, all driven by customers, if they're clever, right? Not by prospects. So that's super important. Mm. So how do we differentiate ourselves against the, uh, the, like the, the names you just mentioned, the bullhorn, the job adders? Well, let me just say that they're formidable opponents. Mm. I mean, formidable. I say bullhorn from a, from a, you know, from a product perspective, the fact they've been in the market for a long time, I'd say job adders marketing is just incredible. The marketing people over there. Wow. Um, you know, 
uh, and and the Mercury's of the world, right? You know those guys. Um, they they do they do quite well, but they're probably more UK focused. Um, I would say that uh, that uh, we are looking for an all-in-one solution, and that's the differentiator differentiator for us. So what we're trying to do is say, well, listen. At the moment, I feel it that the market's gone into two two strands on that side. One is a debt stack, and one is a tech stack. Mm. The debt stack is. Yeah, we've got a partner for that. Yeah, we've got a partner for that. Yeah, we've got a partner for that. You've got to, and you're trying to work out in the sales cycle, how much is all this costing me? Yeah. And then you have to say, so you go and, and meet with one vendor. So you meet with five vendors for your central system. Then you've got five other systems. You need with five other vendors for each of those systems. So you've got 25 different meetings and you've got to make decisions on that. And then there's always the case of nothing flows back into the central core system of, of, uh, of record. So what we're doing is providing all the basics, your pay and bill, your, your, your websites, your, um, uh, your, your candidate portals, uh, client portals, your communications and your analytics, all of that inside one product. Mm. And that's our sales point. It's crazy, I know, um, to try and sit out and do it, but that's what the market wants. It's what the market mm. demands. And, and, if no, we, that, and, and we're seeing it now in just how busy we are. Mm. Um, you know, and, and that people saying, oh, right, okay, that's exactly what I want. Um, so that's how we differentiate ourselves, really. Okay, okay, that makes sense. So, you, you, so you so you've successfully run a recruitment business, Bernie. Then you got into the ski chalet business. Now you're in the, uh, the, the the recruitment software business. What next? What next for you? Or what next for for Vincere? I think Vincere is going to keep you busy for quite a few years, right? Yeah, I, th- I think I think just just take it one season at a time, Pete. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, and I think that's really the truth here because now I'm starting to enjoy it after you know, six, seven years of, of, of pure pain. Yeah. It's actually getting to an enjoyable stage where I can actually have conversations with some long-suffering customers of mine and, and say to them, yeah, actually, that's coming in about two months. Well, actually, that's coming this weekend. Mm. Oh, okay, yeah, that's a good idea. We can segue off this and have really meaningful conversations with them. So, yeah, uh, it, I can't answer a longer-term picture here. Um, you know, there's no plans to sell this business anytime soon. I think if there was an exit, probably be through a, through a, a private equity player that wants to take it to the next step. Sure. And I'd like to be a part of that, yeah. you know, that next step too. So okay. that's, that's really the plans. Well, we're coming towards the end, Bernie. It has been fascinating. But uh, in closing, going back to the concept of this podcast, it is all about, you know, educating and, and inspiring and motivating people who, who might find themselves in, in your shoes. So um, I suppose if you were to put yourself in, in, in the shoes of somebody who was thinking about um, you know, their next chapter or trying to go on to bigger and better things or, or starting their own business or, or pursuing success in some way, shape or form. Um, what advice would you give to that person? What advice would you give a, a younger Bernie maybe? Okay. Uh, number one, never give up. Never, ever, 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 ever give up. Um, I, th- I think a lot of people would say that, you know, there's probably my number one trait would be never to give up. Mm. Uh, don't listen to anyone telling you what you, they think of you. You know better. You do. You, Pete, you've run your own business for many years. You get that. You know, don't give up and back yourself. Number two, don't feel sorry for yourself, right? It's a lonely world out there, isn't it? We're, we're, and I imagine in COVID, it's even worse, right? You're stuck at home. It's like, Jesus, what am I doing? Don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't, let, don't ever self-pity yourself because no one gives a shit. And once you understand that, you get over it. I suppose, you know, number three would be, I, I think I said it earlier, fail fast and learn from it. 
Yeah, if you, you know, don't be afraid to, to try something, but quickly learn if it's not working out. Don't, don't be thinking, don't, don't let, let, you know, because we are always um, positive. Don't let some positive um, uh, momentum, uh, positive feelings overcome bad momentum, right? So just get out of it and fail fast. The thing I always I say to my team here is that when we're at university, we used to pay um, a professor to get up and talk at us, right? Sometimes quite rudely and then give us really bad results and really bad feedback. And we used to love it. And we come out in the work, work, uh, the work field or the business field and we, we get paid, right? And we don't study, we stop yeah. studying. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing, you know, when you fail, learn from it, take the time to learn and study a bit. So Google is the best friend in the world. It's the best invention ever, in my opinion. Yeah. So that's what I'd say to people, you know, back yourself, don't feel sorry for yourself and, and, and fail and, and learn. learn yeah. And I think, look, I think, uh, I think that second point about not feeling sorry for yourself, I think uh, when COVID hit, there would have been thousands, if not millions, myself included, who briefly fell into that trap. You know, you, you suddenly think, shit, the world's, the world's falling around my ears. Why is this happening to me? But as soon as you pull yourself out of it, good things start yeah. happening again. I think that's great, Pete. I think that's the most important thing, you know, for me. Because you, you do, I mean, 2015, we're looking at, you know, a cash crunch. And the thing you have to do is you're, no one gives a shit. You have bills to pay. Uh, you know, don't feel that you're doing anyone a favor. It's just the way it is and just yeah. deal with it. Get yourself out of, out of, out of the yeah. crunch. And can I just say one thing? I suppose recruitment, for those of you in recruitment, it's, it's a bloody great career. Tech is not the answer. Don't think that you go into tech, oh, yeah, I'm going I'm to be a tech entrepreneur. That's BS. Right. Trust me. It's just as hard, if not harder in a lot of ways, you know, to come and do something you've not done before. Yeah. You know, recruitment is a known process. It's a known success. And you think that Qantas, uh, uh, you know, they're sacking 10,000 people. All these companies are sacking people. Right. What you've got to remember is that when they come back, they need to rehire them all. Yeah. Yeah. And they ain't going to be able to do it. What are they going to turn to? It's going to be a feeding frenzy for us and well, for recruiters first and hopefully us. Yeah. You know, because we feed off you. We're, you're the 800-pound gorilla with a flea on your back. Yeah. So the good times will roll back. We're just gonna, we're just gonna, we're just gonna stay in the game. We're just gonna be I here. Think, I think, I, I absolutely, and I think, I think those those people that stick to it are the people that will be successful, mm. uh, because um, because there'll be less of them. Because you know, the, the the weak will leave and the strong will remain. And I had I had a business, uh, not a business partner, but a, a business associate that sold his recruiting business, I'm uh, sorry, his recruiting business in Japan. It was in 2011. So he went through the 2008 drop. He had to go and borrow money to keep it going. And he came out of it and sold it to, to a Japanese company. And he, the guy is now, you know, rolling in cash. Yeah. And he's, you know, living in, you know, mansions in Singapore. And uh, Nick, well done, mate. Uh, you know, so, <laughs> so he's, but he's one of those guys that, that pushed himself through a, a difficult situation, a management buyout, pushed himself through a, um, through a you know, recession, uh, when he was wondering whether he should stay with it. And yeah. then he came out the other side and just, wow. You know, yeah. so. Don't throw him a towel. Yeah. Bernie, thanks so much, mate. Thank you so much for, for, for talking Pete, to us. And, me, uh, mate. And, and, the, and the life lessons and the business lessons and the, the pearls of wisdom that you dropped in there. Anyway, <laughs> anyway it was, it's, it's been fun so far. But, uh, but no, I really appreciate you having me on, mate. I've, I, I love your podcast. They're amazing. Thank and you very much. I love much. what you're doing for the business, especially right now. Thank you, mate. Okay. All right. Good luck, Benny. All the best. Thanks, mate. Okay. okay. Cheers. Take Bye-bye. care.
Thank you so much for listening to the Recruitment Journeys podcast. Really hope you enjoyed it. Now, while we're passionate about bringing inspirational recruitment stories to our network via this podcast series, Recruitment to Recruitment is our bread and butter and our day job. So if you are a recruiter thinking about your next career chapter or your recruitment journey, see what I did there? We're always keen to have a confidential discussion with recruiters about what's going on in the market. So please feel free to contact me in the strictest of confidence on 0432 666701 or email me at pete at Thank you so much for listening and please watch out for our next inspirational podcast interview coming very soon. Thank you.